You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Got a full studio in front of me now. I've got Naz Chowdhury sticking with us yep. after last hour. Imtishan Giado, welcome to the show. You're from Motoring Middle East and also automotive journalist Noel Ebden. Welcome to the show, guys. It's like the first day back at school, isn't it? Really it really is, isn't it? Uh, a little, yeah. little bit. A um, little bit of paperwork from the last hour to catch up on. Hillary has been in touch on 4001 asking about companies to use for wrapping or foiling the car. You mentioned it to one of the callers, Naz. Any idea how much it would cost, for example, to wrap a Mini? Yeah, so I can give you the cost, but I can't recommend anyone because no, that's that fair always enough. tends to like come back and slap yep. you in the face, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I've seen quotes for 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 Mini Cooper, which is a smaller size car, anywhere from three thousand to eight thousand, well, even twelve thousand dirhams, really, depending on where you go. The only thing I'd ask for is when you sit down and talk to these people is just ask for a warranty. Um, so if it does start peeling or fading in the corners, uh, then at least you can go back. So go somewhere reputable, pay that little bit more. And make sure you get a three, if not five-year warranty. No, I think you want yeah, to add to that. Yeah, so also as well, um, don't forget that you have to tell the police that you're changing the colour. Yes, you do. So you have to get, uh, in ad- in advance, you have to get uh, permission <coughs> to do it. You then have to uh, wait for that ap- application to come through. It's all done online, and then you can wrap the car. But what but if the, you're just the clear film? Because a lot of people just go for clear films to just protect the cars. Then right? it's fine, no need for yeah, police reports. Yeah, yeah. So what's the reason for that? Is it simply so that all the paperwork is in place, that yeah. you're not driving a car that you say is grey, but you're driving in something yeah, that's so red? Basically, the car is registered in the colour that mm. it is. So if it's a grey car, it's down as grey, and the police have that number plate as a grey car. And if you change it to a pink car, then mm. it doesn't match. You, all the speed the cameras, all the Salic tools, they'll be all confused. We're yeah. like, that's a red... No, it's not. It's blue. Like you just throw everything yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> Does Salic notice your colour of your car? I think it's from the RFID tag, because I... I so it doesn't really matter what colour the car is, because they're just reading the licence plate. No, yeah. because what I've also done is I've bought cars before where I literally buy the tag... I shouldn't say this live, but then I don't stick you it on the car. I don't stick it on the car. Like okay. I just forget it somewhere. I, like, no, nobody accidentally, does that. Yeah. accidentally no, throw no. it away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's got nothing to do with the tag. Yeah, no, no. The and tag is works. useless. Yeah. But then there's been car times when there's been one of my cars on the back of a recovery truck with mm. which has no number plates, but the static tag's still in the window, mm. and it still picks up on it. So yeah. I think, like tags, you cannot avoid static. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And of course, we've got a couple more toll gates coming in yes. at the end of yes, November. Do. November 24, yeah. Yes, so Al Kale Road now going to be getting its first Salic gate. Uh, and they said something between Maidan Street and. Yep. That's on Sheikh Zayed Road. So between um, Sakim and Maidan Street. But they've so, already got one there. So yes. le- no, no, no. Not on Sheikh Zayed Road. Yeah, yeah no, 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 this is on Al Kale. So this is heading okay. towards Business Bay and heading the other way back. As well. yeah. so it's ah. going to be but there is one on Shakeside Road as well, but you won't get charged if you go through the two in within an hour. I thought they, I thought they scrapped that. The, for this one, apparently. So which two are coming back? Yeah. Which two are connected? So there's going to be a new one going to be put uh, between Umal Shaif Street and Al Maidan Street, but there's another yes. toll gate that's quite close to that, Al Safa. Yeah. And apparently, so if you drive through one. And you then go through the next one before an hour, you'll mm. only get charged the once. What if there's mm. traffic? 
then that's unfortunately <laughs> if it takes you an hour to cross that distance <laughs> I suggest you just park or I, get on Telchel Road and I, get charged there instead <laughs> I, I can assure you that if there's a salad gate there there will be no traffic yeah that's true <laughs> yeah. of course that's the way things well, happen that, that's the whole purpose of this right yeah. I think the article was in order to ease congestion mm. we will be doing this so you're mm. right actually but yeah, then yeah, of course yeah, yeah. there's the age old argument that it's not easing congestion it's moving congestion that's elsewhere right. yes but, yeah. uh, if you if you live in Emer- if you live in Dubai Hills you're going to find suddenly it very interesting in the mornings trying to get out. So, yeah. Anyway, that's yes. uh, a few months away <laughs> yet. So we'll deal with that. We'll worry about that when it comes to it. Imtishan, good morning. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. You, uh, I was chatting to you a couple of weeks ago, actually. You've been in Saudi Arabia. How was the magic that? kingdom. Yeah. In many ways. Um, a very interesting place. And I've got a few tips for driving in Saudi, if anybody's interested. Don't worry. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, First of all, have a have a compadre or a comrade because that is a long drive. Anywhere between cities, you could be anywhere between six or seven hundred kilometers. So, if you're doing it, make sure you have somebody with you or take frequent stops. By the way, there's nowhere to really stop. Mm. There's <laughs> petrol stations. That's it. A note on petrol: um, Google Maps will list petrol stations. Most of them are not actually there. So when you get there, if you're relying on it and if you're down to your last two liters or whatever, this is going to be a disaster. A lot of the petrol stations you come into have, how shall I say this, not the best environments. So you may not find good facilities. You might not find sanitary facilities. I'm sorry to say it because there's still a long way to go in Saudi. But on the other hand, you also may not find clean petrol. So that's another problem as well. You find a lot of stations where... It just looks like you're just not going to get great petrol. But amazingly, they have like, you know, wireless payments and stuff. Oh, a note on wireless payments. A lot of Saudi stations, it pays to go in and ask beforehand if they accept visa cards. Because often they will not tell you this. They have a system called MADA, which is similar to a lot of sort of wireless payments out there. But it's only for Saudi banks. So you'll get there, you'll whip out your credit card and they'll be like, sorry, nothing provide some reals. Oh, by the way, there's no ATM for 100 kilometers in either direction. So basically, oh make, sure, know, yeah. make yeah. sure that you take credit cards. Um, the bigger stations like Sasco, etc., Aldris, they'll take uh, Visa cards, but not always. Oh, and here's a fun fact. You can be in the same station, same pump, and one of them will take credit cards, one won't. Right. Okay, I have to say, you're not really <laughs> selling this. What? Not yeah. selling this too much at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 inter- it's an interesting adventure, and I think that's what we like, right? In the UAE, everything is quite advanced now. We're quite used to it. But We're spoiled here. We don't have to get out of the car, yeah. do we? Yeah, exactly. The guy taps yeah. at the window and job's done. Yeah. And when you see the cars pulling into the station, you realize the Saudi RTA is a lot more relaxed. <laughs> I saw cars with holes in the bodywork. I saw cars where the beds were just hanging on and they're all Toyotas. They're all t- minimum 20 to 30 years old. But it's testament to how well those cars are built mm. that you get to see these cars running. And it's, it's a bit like a Toyota sort of museum when you see wonders at the back ends of Saudi. But it just goes to show you that if a car works, it works. Mm. So would you recommend doing this road trip? 100%. 100%. Right. What's it, the main points? Why? Well, if you are nostalgic for the way things used to be, Saudi is a good place to visit because often <laughs> a lot of people are. I, am I love how the, you put a positive spin yeah, on exactly, that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it was nice. And I think you see scenery that unfortunately the UAE does not have. You'll be traveling through mountains and streams and valleys and you'll just see these epic deserts stretching into the distance and you'll see stuff that will literally take your breath away. And then you'll arrive on the coast and you'll see water that, no jokes, will compete with the Maldives for clarity. And just, 
absolute depth and beauty and you'll just see stuff that you're like wow this is saudi arabia you can't believe it mm. and the people are nice the food is pretty good the hotels vary once again vary once again but if you book make sure you turn up on time otherwise those bookings may disappear uh, but generally speaking <laughs> it's sounds like you're talking from experience yeah. on yeah. that <laughs> oh just a few times just a few times yeah. yeah but it is a very very interesting trip and i think you come back with sort of an appreciation for how well the uae does things but mm. also appreciation for what saudi has come in such a short time mm. from saudi arabia to Bister. Bister. Yeah. Yes, in the UK in in January. Right. So Not the warmest we, of places. No. Yeah. What were you doing there, Noel? So Bister is an old RAF base from the Second World War that was kind of left alone by the RAF. And then eventually they sold it. Um, and it's been turned into kind of a car collector's paradise, I suppose is probably the best way to put it. Um, and because it's an old RAF base, uh, you got the word scramble from when, you know, there were incoming baddies, so they would scramble the uh, mm. Spitfires and, the, you know, and off they'd go to, uh, you know, shoot them, shoot them down. So they have a thing called the Bista Scramble, which is just literally, if you've got an interesting car, you book it in um, and uh, you can turn up. And there was... I'd say there was about 8,000 people turned up. Um, there were cars everywhere, um, all the workshops that are there. So there's a there's an old uh, Riley restorer there, and, uh, and it's like the racing team's base there. They all open their shutters and have their cars on display and things like that. It's coffee coffee stands everywhere. Absolutely brilliant event. Really, really good. Well, Is this just for old people? Because that's what it sounds like. No. You know, what was really interesting was the mix <laughs> of people that were there. And... The there was everyone from, as you say, old people to like yeah, the, youth. The, the, the youth running around with their camp with their phones on a, a uh, on, on so a, gim- a gimbal. What's the for the younger set? Is what I'm asking. The cars. I mean, there was a there was a Aston Martin Valkyrie there. There was. Nice. Um, I mean, there was just a bit of everything. You name it, it was there. Um, I've sent a load of photos in, so they're going up on the uh, website, so you'll be able to see the. Massive eclectic mix of cars. The, my favourite moment was the uh, Ferrari Testarossa park next to the, I believe it was an Austin uh, Maestro. That's oh, probably yeah. the wow. probably okay. the, the widest, the, the, the most. That was the best example of sort of you know the difference in in what was there. So yeah. was either one of an affordable price, and B, did you buy one? No, I, no um, nothing for sale. All no. all owned cars, all people's cars. A, a few tickets in the window saying, "Call me if you want to buy it." <laughs> so always. it's sort of like a good wood. It sounds like it was. Yeah, very very similar. And in uh, Bista, it just for everyone's knowledge, is where they filmed the um, the imitation game with Benedict Cumberbatch ah, yes, the, right. about the Enigma code. Mm. That's so, not for the that yeah, That's not for Because it Karen. still looks like... Yes, I'm sorry. Forgive, forget it. Forgive me for forgetting Kira. Um, it's, it still looks like the, like the 1940s. Fantastic. There. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Nas, tell us about yes. the BMW i5. So uh, honestly, like in a nutshell, it's a it's it's a great car. It follows the BMW i range of the i4, the i7, the iX1, the iX3, and the the full fat iX. So this slots gladly in the middle to in that five series segment. And I think what it does very well is it gives you the sportiness of a three series, but the luxury of a of a, of a seven series. Uh, and, and that's reflected in the interior, which I'll go on to. The, the particular model I drove was the eDrive 40. Uh, 84 kilowatt battery, 0 to 66 seconds, 475 kilometers of range, so fairly average, although good stats for 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 a for an electric car. 
what really got to me was the interior, which is really, really impressive. As soon as you open the door, you just got this big interaction light bar that goes across, well, the doors and the dashboard. And that serves two purposes. Number one, it's the mood. So it changes color depending on the sportiness of the mood. But it's also a safety feature. So if you're getting too close to the car in front, it flashes and trust me, it wakes you up. <laughs> right. um, you've also got big digital, um, big uh, screen that goes across the top. So this is infotainment, speedometer, everything in one huge screen, similar to the new X5s and things like that. One thing that's very interesting, which is different, is it no longer comes with leather interior. So it's got a vegan interior. Okay. Uh, they call it Veganza. It looks like leather, feels like leather. Smells like leather? But it doesn't smell like no. leather, and it's not leather. The only thing that is leather is a steering wheel. Um, but you can go for a leather variant if you want. But it, is honestly, it made from vegans? It's made... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but actually, it's it's a really, really, really nice interior. Uh, it's also got the intelligent drive, so it, it's almost like a entry-level autopilot, so it helps you overtake and things like that. But if you're a vegan, then you can sit in it, but you can't drive it because you can't touch the steering wheel. Mm. Yeah, look, I think it's down to some... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just I think thought I'd throw that in. I think it's... Stop you know, sale. <laughs> due to some kind of, some kind of sustainability feature, but right. like... You know, what happens is when, when you reinvent the wheel, which you're essentially doing, going from a, combust a conventional combustion engine to an all-new electric range, you have to make some significant changes in order to get with the time. So, for example, with the exterior, um, you've got, you know, large blanked-off kidney grills, for example. So they're not, they don't, they're not air vents as such. that They're blanked off. Uh, you've got the digital headlights and you've got the flush door handles. So all of the i-range cars, similar to the i4, have the flush door handles. So they're trying to reinvent not only going from combustion to to electric but reinvent the look and the feel of these cars as well um like the way it drives is 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 really good they've got i think it's hans zimmerman who's famous for uh famous musician yes mm. and uh he was responsible for all the sounds that the thing makes so depending on whether you're on sport mode or comfort mode or relaxed mode or or creative mode all the light settings change inside and the sound of well there's no engine but the sound of the fake engine coming through the speakers uh has been orchestrated by Hans Zimmerman like it really no is an way. immersive is, experience is this a sound that's outside as well or just inside just inside so outside it's silent inside you're you've got the noise of a car I encourage anyone to check this thing out because it's really <laughs> incredible. Because when you it got doesn't it on, sound like a car because you can hear it on YouTube. And it sounds like you're in the dark night. It's yes. a really, which uh, is what Hans Zimmer is famous for, among other things. But there's an orchestral feel to it. And when you put it on sport, that sound encourages you to push the car more. And when you got it on comfort or relaxed, it almost wants to put you to sleep. Like it's it's really, really, really impressive. Not sounding mm. so impressive if you're wanting to fall asleep listening to the sound really, of the car. Really, when you drive <laughs> yeah. 9,000 kilometers through Saudi, you do want to fall asleep if you're You will not be charging the i5 very often in Saudi, my friend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, things are for sale. There's, there's two variants. So the, the one I looked at was a single motor M40. And uh, they also have, of course, the uh, dual motor fettled by the guys at M which is the M60, and that's north of 8900 Newton meters. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Now, I'm mm. conscious that you're having to head off um, To BMW, yes. actually, the, the launch of the X2 or Autodrome. So that's, that's where I'll be heading now, and we'll discuss that car next week. Okay, looking forward to see that. But before you go, I just want to talk about car showrooms, basically, because gone are the days when a showroom 
is basically just a showroom. It now seems that dealers are really vying against each other to grab our attention. I believe you were down at the Mercedes-Benz brand center in Dubai Design District recently. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give you a bit of backdrop on this. So as car manufacturers gained influence and, and wanted to grow and scale in the 60s, 70s and 80s, they couldn't afford to run their own dealership. So what they did is they got franchise. And these franchises used to spend a lot of money to build up places where people come to buy cars. And that's what has turned out to be what we conventionally know as a car dealership, where there's three or four guys in oddly fitting suits standing near the door, following you around, offering you coffee with a pen in the hand, trying to make you sign for a car. And it's almost become like clinical. There was a survey in the US that said people would rather go to the dentist than go buy a new car. Um, so it's the, the experience has been like, somewhat traumatic for a lot of people. I mean, the advantage over the last five, 10 years is you get a lot of information online. So you can do a lot of your shopping and your stats online before you go to the dealership. But the advantage is there's too much information for people who are not car guys like us. So how do you reinvent that whole showroom experience, right? So Tesla tried it and they were the first ones that don't have franchise dealerships, not the first, but the main ones that don't have franchise dealerships who said, we're gonna be in control of this. Tesla as a brand will sell you the cars as a brand. But in my opinion, sorry, Elon, they've gone one step too far. You walk into a Tesla dealership, you look at a car that you like, you point it, you say, I want that car. They tell you to download the app and do it yourself on the phone. Like right. it's just gone a bit too far, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then, yeah, can I just pay by card? No, go online, pay by card. So what's the point of them being there? Well, well exactly, this is the thing. Yeah, so yeah, someone's yeah. trying to reinvent the showroom. And I think Tesla are like gone a little bit too far. The traditional ones, a little bit too far behind. So Gergash, now this is where we come to. Uh, Gergash being the franchise owner for Mercedes, who have been for a very long time, who have a very successful car showroom on Sheikhzad Road and somewhere near the airport, I think you guys yeah. see it on yeah. the airport, have built not what they call a showroom, but called a brand center. So for Mercedes, this is the first in the world. And uh, they're planning to replicate this in different parts of the world as it rolls out. So the best way to describe it, it's been designed by uh, Jenny Binchy, so they got proper architects in to get this thing done right. And it combines not only car dealership, but lifestyle, arts, culture, events, really to bring the automotive community together. And it, it's just fascinating. I encourage everyone to go down. I think the official launch is on the 26th-ish towards the end of this month. Uh, but a couple of points to note is there's a four-car stacker. So there's just like a wall of Mercedes all along the back wall, but that's behind glass because that's not why you're there. As soon as you walk in, you're greeted by a beautiful coffee shop with AMG cups, by the way, which is really cool. Uh, there's the EQ section, which, uh, which does all their EQ cars. There's the AMG section. There's the Maybach section, but it's all down to the design and uh, I'd say the ergonomics of the whole building. It, doesn't have a car dealership experience. Someone you can go where you can take your kids, have a little coffee, have a look around, point at a car in a stacker, watch the thing come down to you. Like it's really, oh, really, wow. really impressive. It's more called, like a museum. Yeah, sort more of like a museum. Yeah, like yeah. the the uh, the uh, the CEO of Mercedes Middle East who was there compared it to the Guggenheim in Germany. So that's right. that's the right way to look wow. at it. Now I'll tell you a really other interesting thing that I've noticed there. They are building a state of the art test track off-road test track in d3 just on like literally like if you fall off the the, the test track the off-roading track you fall into the river like that right. that's how close it is wow so it's a uh, meters and meters high 38 degree inclines one and a half meters of wadiing 
like they've got all the the, the drift pads and things mm. like that we can really test drive the hell out of a g-wagon and check this out you don't even need to drive a license you don't even need to be 18 years old so as long as you're eligible to buy a g-wagon you mm. turn up there in a few months when this thing's ready and you get to experience it in like it's full off-road capabilities wow. apparently even if you're 14 15 years old that's okay so that's really 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 impressive and it's also going to be the new way for people to test the upcoming eqg which will be coming yes. out in the next few yeah. months and this will be the perfect place to present such a car okay stick Wow. Sounds good. Uh, so that's worth uh, checking out. Mercedes-Benz Brand Center in B- Dubai Design District. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Motormania with Andrew in for Damien. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about this showroom, the new showroom, the Mercedes-Benz Brand Center in Dubai Design District. Uh, Noel Ebden and Imtishan Giado are still with me. Uh, this kind of new vibe with regards to showrooms, is that something that you reckon is is going to be the the new way forward. Like it's almost like a day out for people rather you, than actually. You see that with a lot a of showrooms. Look at Polestar, they've got experience centers, Tesla, like you say, is not really a traditional showroom. The idea of having cars stacked up and salesmen lining up and ready to bother you or salespeople, I should say, is outdated. But at the same time with the brand center thing, you gotta be a little bit careful because manufacturers like to place it as oh but it's a wonderful place to hang out. I don't know anybody who's like I want to hang out at a car showroom. Mm. And I think people in Dubai are a little bit different, or I should say the UAE, they basically want to buy a car. They want to go in there, they want to touch, they want to poke, they want to pod, the, and they don't necessarily want to be like distracted with all this frippery, but manufacturers now are turning everything into like a mini motor show. You go in there and it's like, you're not selling you cars. I'm like, but I do want to buy a car. I just want to buy a car. I want to know how much it costs. I don't want to know what it's like. Can I drive it? But I'm being pushed around and moved around all these directions and like everything but buying the car. Is that the way forward? I mean, it's the way the motor companies want to do it, but it's what the people want. Noel, what do you think? Uh, I mean, it's just the, the motor industry is trying to find w- new ways to sell cars. I mean, Hyundai and uh, and Tesla have been in shopping malls for for at least five five to ten years. Yeah. Um, that they kind of saw early on. I think uh, Hyundai were quite ahead of them uh, of the curve. Actually, they were they were selling in uh, shopping malls in Europe. I mean, literally ten years ago, and it's kind of to try and de kind of. I don't know. Make it less scary, I suppose. To Remove the, the stigma, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I suppose because you know, you know, it's when you walk into a car showroom, you see the meerkat heads pop up of the show <laughs> of the sales guys. If it's a good showroom, yes. I quickly add, and it is a bit intimidating for a non-car person because literally these guys, bing, up go the mm. heads, and you see them circling like vultures coming in, and, and they, and it's a, it's the second biggest purchase that you make yeah. in your life is is buying a car. Or, yeah. or the other thing is why you have a brand center. I'm not talking specifically about Mercedes because they've just opened and they have a completely new concept. I haven't even been there myself yet. But if you look at a lot of the showrooms now, which are try the Toyota the brand mm. center, they don't have cars in stock. That's right. So yeah. you go in there, you can't actually buy a car. Yeah. You've got to wait maybe six months, seven months, even Toyota, for goodness sake. So you're looking at the situation where they need to have something for you to do in there. They need to have some sort of experience and watch some videos, sit down and go through things. Mm. But otherwise, what are you going to do if you can't get a car that you want to buy or even test drive it? Well, a good example is how many showrooms have got a PlayStation and a big mm. screen? I have yet to see anyone playing on that. On but that you need to have something for the kids just, to do, right? It just sits there. 
Right? Yeah. And it's because people go in to buy cars. That's why they're there. I mean, right? my thought is by the time you, you're going to the showroom to buy a car, mm. you've already done a lot of research. You've kind of worked these out. Da- these days, yes. You've yeah. worked out what car you're going to go for or you've got mm. a couple of options. Yeah. It's only then that you're going to the showroom. Yes. It's not not so the intention is already made yeah. to buy. Yeah. So yeah. my th- thoughts are you're not going in blind and just sort of no. seeing what's available. Exactly, yeah. Some hey, look, people do though. Th- yeah. Yes. Not many. This is about brand loyalty. This is this is all this is what it is. What they're trying to do is they're trying to hook you in to the Mercedes brand early on, which is is clever and I can see why they're trying to do it that way and it and it'd be interesting to see if it works. I'll tell you what's really gone a long way is the online presences of all these brands because you know 15 years ago no we know this hmm. you couldn't find the prices of cars online now almost every manufacturer has the prices of cars that are in stock so you do a lot of your shopping your comparisons your details your specs people aren't really so interested in the gadgetry the way we were growing hmm. up I guess but people do want to know if the car has CarPlay and stuff like that or five seats or seven seats or what have you but by the time they go in they're pretty well versed so the showroom has to become a new function somewhere where the whole experience of parting you from your money is is extremely pleasant because yeah. that's ultimately what's going to happen right yeah exactly yeah you're buying a car at the end yeah. of the day aren't you talking about uh, parting money i think you'd be parting a lot of money if you're going to get yourself a new maserati mm. damien reed he's been uh, checking out uh, the latest he went on a very special trip with maserati let's find out from damien Thanks, Andrew, for driving the Motomania bus while I'm away. Now, one of the last things I did before I took off for the end of 2023 is I went to the very northern parts of Italy, deep into the snow, uh, to drive a range of high-performance cars from Maserati. One of them in particular is the Ghibli 334. Now, this is a significant car for a number of reasons. Namely, it's the last V8-engined Maserati that will be made, uh, which is sad in a way because Maserati has made its whole history on V8 engines, but of course the world is changing, they're going towards electrification and they have that beautiful V6 engine they call the Natuno that is in uh, their current range as well. So we took the chance to drive the 334, which incidentally stands for its top speed. It is the fastest V8 sedan in the world, rear-wheel drive. Uh, it's a dynamite car, so it was a bit of a handful in the snow, but a lot of fun. But anyway, I spoke to Sonia Laurie, the vehicle synthesis manager for Maserati. Uh, she's the lady behind this car to, to ask her, well, why are they doing this why are they phasing out the v8 and uh, and what's in store this is what she had to say the main driver is that we wanted to celebrate this extraordinary engine uh, through this very very special version we have a trofeo version but we wanted to empower this version uh, even more and uh, we wanted to reach uh, exceptional uh, velocity and ex- exceptional acceleration 334 uh, the name is due to the velocity uh, the top speed reached by this uh, by this version which is uh, absolutely amazing i think uh, 300 34 kilometers per hour and uh, we have 3.9 seconds of 0 to 100 uh, kilometers per hour of acceleration which uh, is also a very huge result. What were some of the the, the issues you had to overcome to produce this this last Fiat engine to suit obviously today's standards with emissions and everything else it was a because it's a a small build number of vehicles so what were some of the the features you had to go through? It's a a very limited series because it's a 103 
vehicles only for Ghibli. For Levante, we have 103 vehicles uh, in the Blue Royale and 103 vehicles in Nero Assoluto. We had worked a lot to optimize uh, weight management and uh, um, also aerodynamics. These were the two main uh, drivers on which we, we worked. And also a very big effort has been put in realizing uh, a tires with uh, a dedicated compound, which uh, allowed us to reach this uh, acceleration and uh, speed. So the tires, are, it, it's Pirelli, is that correct? Correct. Yeah, because here we are in the snow, very different conditions again to, to high performance testing and on, in dry weather, summer. So what were some of the, the, the challenges you had to go through with, with a company like Pirelli? Uh, we had uh, to work together to find a fine tuning of the vehicle and of the compound. We already had in the start an idea of uh, which should be the correct compound. Then we performed a lot of testing and through this testing we did a tuning and we understood which was the behavior we wanted to, to reach and we targeted to do this. And we worked for this with testing, validation and the many cycle of fine tuning. Mm. Now obviously Maserati is moving into electrification. You've got the Natuno engine as well, the beautiful six-cylinder yes. engine. The V8, it's, it's disappeared. What, why was, what was the impetus, what was the reason to produce one more V8? Because the V8 is the history of Maserati and I think it's a very special uh, engine. We wanted to prove this uh, okay. in the Ghibli 334, which is uh, a synthesis uh, from my point of view of fold that, that can be expressed from this, uh, from this engine coupled with uh, a sedan, which can be compared to the one of uh, a coupe. So it's really extraordinary. So that was Sonia Lorry, the vehicle synthesis manager for Maserati. What does that mean? Well, basically, she's the engineer responsible for all the technical performance of the Maserati Quattroporte, Ghibli and Levante models. So make sure you catch Damien's Maserati snow showdown on Instagram. But here is his verdict after getting behind the wheel of the Ghibli 334. Yeah, so what a car that Maserati Ghibli 334 Ultima is. Maserati is claiming it to be the fastest Maserati ever made, not to mention the fact that it's the fastest four-door in the world. To give you some uh, a comparison, for instance, the uh, the famed Maserati MC12 that was built based on the Ferrari Enzo in the early 2000 is uh, 330 kilometers an hour. So, so four kilometers an hour off the pace of this uh, large saloon. And even the MC20 that we, we reviewed on Motormania last year is uh, nine kilometers is now off the pace compared to to this Ghibli, so quite something else. As I said, it's the um, 572 brake horsepower from this 3.8-litre twin-turbocharged V8 engine that will get you to 100 kilometres an hour in about 3.8 seconds. And as the number on the side says, 334 kilometres an hour is the top speed that it has already recorded by Maserati's engineers. Price? Well, not too sure. There's only a very limited number, just over 100 being made globally. But you can guess probably around about the mid-600 thousand dirham mark for that one if the good friends down at Altai Motors will have one in supply for you So that's uh, Damien's thoughts on the new Maserati Ghibli 334 Initial reactions in the studio MTN Noor I want to know why he always gets to go slide in the snow whereas I don't, but anyway Mm. apart from that um, Yeah, look, I mean they're making beautiful cars again um, so I'm sure these will be great. I haven't, I have, I'm, I've not got much info on these, but uh, I'm sure they'll be fabulous as m- modern Maseratis are. The Ghibli is an old car. I think it came out in 2014. So this is a nice way to send it off because it's been around for a while. And the price has amazingly gone up. The technology hasn't. And it's almost a bit quaint now. You know, it has analog dials. It doesn't have those high-tech sort of LCD displays that we're used to. 
Um, swan song, isn't it? It is a swan song with that big V8 engine. They're doing it because it's a good way to sell the last few cars. I think it's a really clever and smart way. And the market has moved on. But it's it's also a bit sad because it clearly proves that what we like isn't what people are going to buy. People are not interested in buying big V8 fast sedans anymore, except as collector's items, last of the road cars, which the Ghibli undoubtedly is. And I think whoever buys it's getting a super special car that probably is a bit more interesting than a V6 engine. That's mm. already to drive, in my humble opinion. I'm yet to drive a V6 that gives me the excitement of a V8. Um, to Especially this in a sporting context. Yep. If you're talking about like a SUV or an off-roader, yeah, I mean, those are working engines. You know, mm. I have no issue with those kinds of cars. But in a sporting car... I'm still questioning it. Yeah. But it's not it's gone away. And EV as well, the jury's very much out on that. Very much. Yeah. 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 Can't believe we're almost done for the show. Noel and Imtijan. It's been fast and furious this it morning, has, hasn't indeed, it? Doesn't it? Yeah. I just want to um finish up with a text that's come in about car showroom salespeople. And this text Ooh. message says they're not salespeople. They hurt the brands and give a bad experience. What's Ooh. your final thoughts on something like that? I know some fabulous car sales um, people, and uh, I think that's unfair. Um, I, yes, there is the, uh, some old, sharp-suited car guys but um, out there that probably annoy you, but uh, the vast majority of them are excellent, in my, in my view. I'm kind of with... The, the the message person. Oh, sure. there we go. <laughs> we never agree. We never agree. And I do think that that's, it's a lot of work left to do in the market. And anybody from the manufacturer side who thinks that it's all fine is fooling themselves. Because if the customers are clearly not happy, even if one person is unhappy, there's still work to be done. No, Imtishan, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank, Thank you very you. much for coming in. As we heard beforehand, Damien's been to northern Italy to test drive Maserati's high-performance cars. He was telling us about the Ghibli 334. Now there's a very special car that Maserati made two versions of, identical on the outside but very different underneath. Damien, tell us more. Big thanks to Andrew who's taken the reins for the show. Now just before we were listening to Sonia Laurie from Maserati talking about the last V8 engine car, well while we are there, I was also uh, having a chat with uh, Sandra Bernardini who is the Chief Vehicle Engineer for the Maserati Gran Turismo. This is a very important car for Maserati. This is the big GT, the two-door car that everyone knows Maserati by and uh, there's a new one coming but the interesting thing with this is that Maserati has decided to build both a V6 engine and also an electric version they look identical they're both going to be sold together and uh, I don't know of any other car company that's doing this so I had a really good opportunity to sit with Sandra Bernardini to ask him well firstly why and how do you go about it some years ago we made uh, this very strong decision no it was not easy when we decided to develop the same car in both technologies IC and BEV the previous Gran Turismo was a very good success in terms of selling and uh, in terms of uh, sound and uh, and uh, style we knew we wanted to keep uh, the same family feeling the same uh, style but on the other hand the car had to be from technology point of view complete new step that's why the company decided to do a dedicated architecture there is no reuse of any part from any other vehicle of course it was also necessary because handling ICE and BEV version together from outside uh, normal person 
person would see, oh, it's the same car, but uh, below it's complete different dynamics, uh, complete different layouts. So it was really challenging. And yes, we ended up with uh, uh, two ICE versions, the Modena and the Trofeo, the Modena 490 horsepowers and the Trofeo 550. And the Folgor with the, it's uh, for the moment 760 Horsepowers. The Gran Turismo is the is the car that I guess most people associate with Maserati in terms of being a two door four seater GT. Yes. Gran Turismo. Yeah. How difficult was it to decide to go? Okay, we're going to do this on our own. You, you've decided not to sort of go down the path and and borrow bits off the off the parent company and do it yourself. How how did that sort sort of all come about? Basically, you are right. That was a tremendous step because you also had to reorganize yourself in order to be completely uh, separate from any other. Uh, potential partner or whatever. Basically, the company decided to invest a lot in the, in terms of uh, humans, technicians, in terms of uh, culture, automotive culture. And uh, that is something that we are very grateful with, with the company because it doesn't happen every day that they, they call you and say, this is a white paper, design the best Gran Turismo possible and uh, do whatever is necessary. The maximum performance. And the only way to do it was to create a very great team. We are giving us uh, serious air suspension, all-wheel drive. That's an important step. We wanted the customer to be uh, behaving like the, the most extreme uh, Formula One pilot, uh, but on the other hand, we wanted them to be protected by us. So in terms of uh, dynamics, uh, we wanted to create uh, a special car with four driving modes that would allow you to go to the snow like you are doing today. In fact, uh, this is the fastest Maserati ever on the snow. We are internally in our benchmark there is no other Maserati that is competing with us. In the other hand, it was a car, it is a car of nearly five meter long. We wanted to keep it very low for aerodynamic efficiency and from style. But in the other hand, we also wanted to keep it very light. Respect to the previous one, we removed 110 kilograms with an uh, homologated weight of 1,795 kilos. So the ICE version, which is the base for the BB, had to be very light. On the other hand, we made some decisions. We wanted to provide a better seating uh, position for the driver. The position respect to the ground is minus 24 millimeters. Their rear roominess instead is increased by more than 20 millimeters in height uh, because we wanted to offer also this uh, real for ordered cars. It couldn't be a normal coupe. It had to be in a way that the, the Gran Turismo world is respected. So Gran Turismo for us means you can go to the track and behave like Nigel Mansell, like Concerna or Aaron Prost. But in the other side, if you want to get uh, three friends, your family and do long trips, you can do them with the maximum comfort. Yeah, and, and you point out the driving position. I must say it feels, you definitely notice it feels lower. It feels more like probably one of your major competitors, the 911 Porsche, in terms of it's it's where you sit behind the wheel low. Now, this is maybe the first car, I don't know, that, that, but certainly the first car I've driven that is from the ground up built to be both combustion engine and electric. What were some of the challenges you had to go through in terms of, as you say, aerodynamics and lightweight yes. because you have because the battery is heavy and you have to get as much range as you can, but then you can't sacrifice the other things for the combustion no, engine. No. So how did you come, around, come about those hurdles? I previously told you that one of the main missions was to create a base starting from the uh, Cube version IC, which had to be the lightest possible. So we used uh, high-pressure 
dai cast aluminum, low pressure dai cast aluminum, aluminum, uh, sheet metals, uh, extrusions, uh, steel, any kind of technology that was necessary to create the base in a very healthy way. Then you are right, we wanted to keep the car the same height for the IC and for the BEV. So we didn't use the same flat battery that normally today is being used because that would have raised in you uh, the height of the car, nearly mm. 80, 90 millimeters minimum. Some others, OEM, great OEMs, are doing uh, a sort of uh, removal of the batteries below the driver. But then the position of the feet would have been, in our opinion, not so comfortable. Mm. At the end, to answer to your question, we said, okay, let's use the tunnel. Let's forget at the moment Mm. the fact that uh, new BB vehicles do not have a tunnel. Let's keep the car light. Let's keep the car low. Let's keep the same roominess. And let's give the customer the perception that in the past they could buy diesel gasoline for many cars. Now you can easily change and choose gasoline or electrical mm-hmm. because it's the Gran Turismo what you're buying, not the technology. In that case, we implemented this battery in the, the space left by removing the traditional powertrain and the transmission axle and the rear differential, we filled it up with the battery and the, with the 800 volt technology. We are 51 and 49 in the Trofeo. Maybe you could feel this. And uh, on the BB, 1550. Oh. And uh, we reduced in Zeta also, we brought lower the body center, the center of gravity. The technicians were incredibly very smart in the ICE version. The Nettuno engine has been brought rearwards and downwards really a lot in order to keep it rear the front axle. That is giving us the perception of a very good distribution, not only in vertical, but also in X. I think that is the secret of the of the dynamic of the car. Well, I'll tell you what, one thing that the snow brings out is it brings out the chassis technology, the balance, the all these kind of things, and that was absolutely sensational. Yes. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting involved in the, in the Fulgari with the electric vehicle when it comes out in time. But Thanks so much. Yes. Grazie. Grazie a voi. Uh, what I can tell you in advance is that you are going to get confused, which this is exactly what we want. No, because when people ask me, which one is better? Don't know yet. It's uh, three years I'm driving and it's every time you go to the ICE, oh, that's the best. Then you go to the Fulgur and you say, oh, this is one is the best. <laughs> so, yeah, so some interesting stuff coming out of Maserati with a farewell to the V8 and a look to the future with electrification. It was freezing, minus 13, so I needed to uh, get on a plane and thaw out. Anyway, Andrew, back to you in the studio. Thanks to Damien there. He'll be back in the hot seat properly on Motormania in two weeks' time.